Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's one of the interviews from the stage of the 2016 Code Conference. If you like it, please leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. We are getting into some really great interviews going forward, and we have some more spotlights coming up also. Again, as I said, enterprise is a really important topic for me and for the Recode site, and we think it's um, critical for the big companies who have been sort of in the business to understand and talk about what's happening to their own businesses, which is very, uh, I hate to use the term disruptive, but that's that's the fact. Um, So without further ado, Chuck Robbins from Cisco. So, um, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. So, you're a new CEO. Am I new? You're newish. 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 Well, you haven't been here before, so that's all. Then I'm new. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your business. Cisco, you took over from a CEO that was a a long-time incumbent CEO, had been in the seat for a long time, had a certain style, a certain way to do do it. And you've made enormous changes across the company, very much different. Your company was... I think it's a $50 billion company. Roughly, yeah. It's still, though, in the same business that it was. $38 billion mm-hmm. is hardware. Um, and half of that is still um, in things that people know Cisco for. Right. So talk about what happened when you get to a company where you know what you're doing is sort of like, you know, the horse and buggy situation in the car you're <laughs> The horse and buggy? Yeah. Uh, you know, first of all... Uh, as I, as I look at the transition that I went through, it's, July will be a year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and May was a year since I was announced in this role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were a number of things that we knew we had to shift in our company. There's a core set of components that we still position that are still highly relevant, still important. In fact, almost every business that you have and every business leader you have up here takes advantage of what we've done for the last two to three years to actually be able to run their businesses. But what we realized is that we've gone through a time in our company where the value was derived from just the pure connectivity. Mm-hmm. In the hardware. In the hardware. We were connecting you know, hundreds and millions of people and there was value just in that back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Then we went through a phase where the value was in converging different technologies together and creating more value because of that. Mm-hmm. And now both of those things are still very relevant, but the next wave is going to require us to help our customers really derive the value of this next generation of connections because we're going to go from you know, 15 billion IP connections today and three or four years are going to be 26, 27 billion. But it's all about the value that the customer actually derives from that connected manufacturing device or that connected vehicle or whatever that is. So that's the transition we've been on. So when you took over as CEO, again, you still were in the hardware business. Do you consider that the business of your future, hardware, selling hardware, or something else? Because people know you for routers and switches and things like that, and it's still a large part of your business. How do you look at that and say, this is not going to really be our business in 5, 10, 15 years? Well, there's there's a bit of a, a... probably a misunderstanding about our business because even though we monetize our capability through a hardware platform, you know, we have 23,000 software engineers. Mm-hmm. So there's a great deal of intellectual property and software. How many total? Of, about 28. Uh, 23,000 out of t- 28 software yeah, engineers. Yeah, or software. And so there's, uh, there's always been, I mean, when, when you run the, the networks that we run and the complexity of what we do, then there's a ton of software that's behind the scenes there. 
However, as we, as we looked at that wave of convergence, then we got into the collaboration space and created value from bringing together video, voice, contact center, all those things together. And now you're seeing us move into, you know, you've talked a lot about AI, machine learning, uh, IoT, all those things, because the real issue is now how do you help those customers derive that value? So that's gonna be, the important thing is not to get wrapped around the technology trend, but to deliver whatever it is that your customer needs to actually achieve what they're trying to achieve. And sometimes we get caught up on the technology issue as opposed to really focusing on what the customer's looking for. No, I get that, but I'm saying when you come in at CEO, what did you think? Like, I'm inheriting a very difficult transition, presumably. I'm trying to get to the heart of like, yeah, how so you make Yeah, so there's a couple it, things. Like, Number one, I think we need a combination of hardware, software, and a customer needs a choice of how they would like to buy that. Mm -hmm. So they might want to buy hardware, they may want to buy software, they may want to buy an integrated system. They may want to buy it Net 30, they may want to buy it as a service, and we need to accommodate all that. Mm -hmm. uh, we also need to add greater value around it. We need, to get, we need to amp up our security capabilities, our IoT capabilities, and all of that needs to be considered in the same way. Lots of software, but really addressing the customer where they are and how they'd like to buy it. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's the technology solution customer side, and then we have a business model issue where we just want to, as everyone does, uh, want to transition to more recurring predictable revenues. Right, at which, which Cisco was not, Cisco was, was this. Right, kind of thing. so we've been doing that in our security portfolio, as an example, we talked about it last quarter, uh, grew 17%. It's uh, just over $2 billion on product, grew 17%, and 46% of that business now is software and subscription. So in certain areas, we've made a lot of, uh, lot of progress. We have cloud networking through our Meraki portfolio that's now over a billion-dollar run rate. They were $70 million when we acquired them three years ago, three and a half years ago. Uh, and then in the collaboration space, we've moved everything to being available from the cloud in a hybrid environment, and it grew 10%, and the subscription piece grew 16 So, you know, we've seen uh, progress in several areas. So how do you make that? How do you shift a, a company that's known for, and also publicly, the per public perception of what you do, yeah. they used to brag about it, where the plumbers, where the, <laughs> where are the connectors, where the, where are the people with the boxes in the back kind of thing. How do you, and you know, a whole episode of uh, Silicon Valley too, was about the box that was yeah. making fun of the box. Box, yeah. um, and creating the box. Um, you're not the. There's no box. There, there is boxes. But there you know are boxes. I mean? There are boxes, but not what you want to be aiming for. Correct. Well, so how do you do that? How do you like if you're known as They're necessary and things, foundational, right? That's right. the thing we can't forget is that this this big global internet runs on some pretty high performance platforms mm -hmm. that that aren't going to go away. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a reason we have high performance silicon that is built Absolutely. all the time, and you have to have these. I think what we've come to understand is that there's not a one-size-fits-all for every application throughout every network, throughout every customer's infrastructure. So uh, that, that's leading us to just be able to position our technologies in whatever way the customer would like to see them. What I believe is that um, we, as we move to providing our customers more value around security, around collaboration, around analytics and all those, those are just naturally more software-rich solutions and they'll lead themselves to the business models that uh, I think are our shareholders and investors would like to see as well. So talk about this idea of getting things on a more steady basis without the ups and downs and the acquisitions. You were crazy on <laughs> the acquisitions. Um, what does that mean now? What we is, were crazy before or I was crazy? No, I don't know if you were crazy or not, okay. but you're, the acquisitions were consistent. It was, again, another point of pride. We just buy things and we yeah. keep... We know. How did you... Sh is that your strategy? Is that you continue to do that? And Because it was called spin-ins and all kinds we of... Do, we do a little bit of all of that. Right. There... So, you know, when we think about growth and how do we drive uh, new capabilities and new elements of our portfolio and things that we can position with our customers, we do think about our R&D 
capabilities, our innovation internally, because we spend five and a half billion dollars on R&D. Uh, we also um, are very acquisitive still. So since I was named, we bought 14 companies. So mm -hmm. we, we have continued. All of them are in the cloud, software, security, analytics space in this, these next generation growth areas for us. Uh, the third is this, I believe as these industries come together and we see the leveraging of technology in every company, every industry strategy around the world, I believe that's gonna to lead to some very interesting partnership opportunities. And we have those with Rockwell Automation. We announced one with Apple. Mm -hmm. We have one with Ericsson, uh, talking to companies like GE uh, and others where, uh, you know, um, robotics companies like Fanuc, and really create some interesting partnerships. And I think the market is going to move so quickly that any one company that thinks they're gonna do everything is just confused. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to come together to meet our customers' needs more effectively. And then we're also leveraging our, our investment capability. We have over $2 billion invested globally in startups and funds around the world so that we can get visibility. And in many cases, uh, those actually which is, become- Which has been tried. A lot of companies, Intel mm -hmm. famously tried and obviously didn't work as well as they thought. What are you looking for when you're doing this? Well, we have a, uh, we have a few different priorities when we do this. Number one, we're involved in countries around the world uh, very deeply relative to how this technology transformation impacts how leaders think about their countries. How do they think about GDP, job growth, education, uh, the reskilling of employees who, you know, whose jobs may be displaced or changed completely by this transition that we see going on. And so part of it is we're helping them create startup environments and we're bringing in venture capital in addition to innovation centers so that we can help there. So that's one. Second is it gives us vis visibility to early stage technology when we're not sure how an element of the market might evolve. It gives us the ability to watch and learn in that case. Uh, other, another example would be if, if there's an evolving area of technology where there are competing standards or competing potential outcomes, uh, we can see how that plays out before we make massive investments mm -hmm. in any one uh, direction. So talk a little bit about the Apple deal. I think it did, uh, you know, we covered a little bit and others had, what was the, what's the point of it? You, wh why did you do an, a partnership like that? Because this is not, so Cisco has done partnerships before. This is a relatively big one for you. Yeah, I think that the, uh, the anchor around these successful partnerships are, the real anchor is when you, come together and you can create greater value for your customer by being together. And that, that's inherently obvious, but it's something that you miss sometimes when you get excited about the possibilities of a partnership. So one of the things I always ask other CEOs when we're talking about it is, could we find 15 or 20 customers that would get us excited immediately if we said we were gonna go do this, if we gave them some level of detail? And with Apple, there were tons of customers that got excited about it. So there's a multitude of, uh, of aspects to it. Number one, we, are, we have 200,000 enterprise customers around the world that use our collaboration suite. Mm -hmm. And so a tighter integration of the iPhone into that architecture is something they'd love to see us do. Like having the iPhone be a natural endpoint mm -hmm. in addition to having a desk phone. And it would be very integrated in. So that's one of the things. Uh, as you see iOS applications running in the enterprise and they may be competing for bandwidth with you know, the, the cat video on YouTube. Uh, you can actually prioritize and, and actually do traffic management for those applications. Mm -hmm. And then our collective video assets, making them work more effectively together. So those are some of the, the early elements of the partnership. Mm -hmm. The work's going on right now by both development teams. 
and uh, we expect in the fall that we'll uh, be ready to hit the market. With so. products that you're in office yes. for customers. Well, with solutions based so on development. One, one of the other things, there's two areas I want to talk about. One is the changing nature of the enterprise. You're serving enterprise customers. A lot of these new companies, when you look out at the landscape, you see you know, benefits, um, HR, mm -hmm. uh, collaboration, like Slack. Mm -hmm. What do you think of a Slack? You have a competing product, obviously. Yeah. What, what is, how do you look at that? And it's not created at Cisco, and there's the, that's the hot company, or there's a hot company in benefits, or a hot company in other things, yeah. when you're in the collaboration space. Yeah, I think that uh, whenever we see good competition in the market, the first thing it tells you is that you're in a good market. Mm -hmm. And then your responsibility is to deliver a, a higher quality solution or a uniquely differentiated solution for your customer set. So when I think about Spark, and thanks you guys are using that here, I think, mm -hmm. at the show, we appreciate mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, if you look at the statistics, we have 200,000 collaboration customers. 95% of the Fortune 500 use our collaboration portfolio. Mm -hmm. We have 85 million monthly users on WebEx with 3 billion minutes used every, every month. So we have a, an architecture that, that our Spark platform fits into naturally. We also have 65,000 uh, in systems integration partners around the world that actually can help us integrate that. So we think that uh, that helps us significantly when we bring new technology to market. The other thing is that we, in everything we build, there's two fundamental requirements. It has to scale, mm -hmm. because the, the scale at which we do things is pretty tremendous, mm -hmm. and it has to have inherent security. Uh, and I think that our teams, with Spark as an example, did a really good job of building scale, security inherent into the platform, and then also we have a $150 million developer fund out there to have applications written. It was natively designed for developers. So I think that, uh, you know, look, there's always going to be good competition. We, we have to just focus on making sure we're serving the customer. What do you think of Slack, given the direct competitor? What I do think, you they've, think? Done, they've done a good job, obviously. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think they have uh, 3 million users or mm -hmm. something. You know, it's, uh, they've, done a, they've done a great job. So lastly, I want to talk a little bit about the Internet of Things. That's another area you've gotten yeah. into. Um, when you think about where that's going, it sort of feels hyped and a buzzword and this is going to work and it just never does. It mm -hmm. hasn't and it hasn't, and it doesn't mean it's not going to, it doesn't right. mean it's not going to Everything, happen. Everything's like that though. Yeah. Doesn't everything get hyped early, don't you think? Not everything. Some everything. things, yeah, some things. Um, probably uh, earlier. Things yes. happen earlier than they do. Um, but how do you look at that market? Where do you imagine, like, put your prognosticators, Kevin, I'm not the CEO of Cisco, but what do you look, what does that mean for customers eventually? Yeah. What kind of integrated, what has to happen to get that? Well, you know, we, we've been in this space to a certain extent for eight or nine years because mm -hmm. we were out doing smart cities, smart and connected communities. But frankly, a lot and of... you were in the space with video in the home, which you closed down. Like, the, what was that? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the... You can't even remember it. That's I don't the, even remember That's it. how bad it was. No, that um, was a camera, right? Right, that, that was a camera. You no, you had the flip cam, and then you had the home thing. Oh, scientific, we had the Scientific Atlanta, which was part of a cable architecture. No, then you had something else. Linksys. Link, no, something else. Did we? It was a home thing. What else? No, but it was a home thing. Hola. Yumi. Yumi. Oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Some things you just want to forget. Right? Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, but you were doing that aggressively into flip camera, yeah. everything else. What happened to that? And what do no, you look? I think that everything, if, if, you're not, if you don't have things that are failing, then you're not trying to innovate enough, honestly. Well done, then. Okay. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. We've... <laughs> 
sorry. Okay. You walked into Touché. that one. Okay. You just uh, walked how, however, if you, if you look at IoT and what's going on with smart cities, in fact, we were doing a lot of this and we were showing what's possible with stadiums. We've connected right. 160 stadiums around the world. And it was largely to show what's possible and how you can change the experience of the fan, the citizen delivery, citizen services. And I honestly believe in 2015, we saw certain industries that sort of hit the inflection point mm -hmm. where it started becoming real. Mm -hmm. And companies and countries around the world are starting to think about what does this really mean to me and what do I need to right. do as opposed to watching it thinking, okay, how's this going to evolve? So you see it in manufacturing. You're beginning to see some early stuff in healthcare. You see it in cities in a big way. And so we actually made one acquisition called Jasper, mm -hmm. which is the largest commercially available IoT platform out there. Mm -hmm. And it has roughly 28 million connected devices. Mm -hmm. uh, the largest number of devices are vehicles mm -hmm. that are connected to that. And we're adding a million devices a month today. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's got to ramp a lot faster than that, even though a million sounds good. If we're talking about adding billions of devices over the next few years, we'll, we, we believe we'll see that ramp. Mm -hmm. But I think that many of the industries are on the front end of it. Uh, we got to solve a lot of things like security. Uh, but I think customers and countries and leaders, they see the benefit and they believe that you can execute to actually attain that benefit now. And what does that look like? What does that become? What is an Internet of Thing really? Well, you know, it's, you know, it's more connecting than... things that previously weren't connected. I mean, it's, it's, it's converging industrial protocols. It's connecting traffic lights. It's connecting robots in automotive manufacturing facilities. It's connecting EKG machines. It's connecting you know, everything. And uh, I think that um, what we see in engagements around the world is, you know, cities and countries looking at how they leverage technology to deliver citizen services into remote areas, healthcare, education, all those things. But they can do it in a much more scalable way. We've been talking about it for a long time, but it's actually real. Uh, we see you know, our partnership with FANUC, when they look at the cost of downtime on the, the robots that are working in the manufacturing facilities, it's just the ROI is incredible. Uh, and I will tell you that I think the killer app that we see emerging, much like in the 90s when we all saw e-commerce, and e-commerce was the big thing that everyone wanted as we came online. Uh, preventative maintenance of a lot of these devices is, is enough to justify all the effort. And, uh, and anything you do on top of that, relative to all the fancy stuff around advertising and all those things is gravy. Great, any questions for Chuck? If not, I'll continue. Any questions? There's one right there. Go ahead. Uh oh. Hi there. Just uh, you've been known to sometimes use your own proprietary silicon. Sometimes you have bought silicon. Given the expense of making new generations of silicon, I was wondering how you, as a CEO, are thinking about that to yeah. these days. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's it's going to be both. So when we look at silicon, uh, there are we think about time to market that might lead us to use merchant silicon versus building our own silicon. But we just released products, as an example, that are probably 18 months ahead of anything we could have gotten uh, in the uh, commercial market that allow us to do inline wire speed analytics, machine learning, um, and uh, we allowed us to do a combination of speeds like 10 and 25 naturally as opposed to having to have buy one or the other. So there's some advantages that we see when we build our own silicon, and uh, in many cases we can create uh, differentiation, but you'll see us continue to use a combination of those in the future. Um, go ahead. Hi, Chuck. Um, you mentioned about Internet of Things, and there's a lot of possibilities. Everything you said makes sense, but I also, you know, I've seen within Cisco, you've uh, 
the Internet of Things group has kind of moved from one, one organization to the other. It's now, I think, under Rowan in collaboration. Is, does, do you feel that Cisco has made its bed or decided where they're going to focus on on Internet of Things? And is that collab? Is that why it's there? Or is it a little bit more of a placeholder? No, it's not in collab. Rowan just happens to have IoT and collab. Uh, what I believe is that our collaboration architecture will be an element of how the value of IoT or the value of these, these use cases are realized by our customers. Because let's say you want to deliver citizen services, you'd consider that an IoT application, but there's a huge video element associated with it. It may be integrated back into a contact center. However, the whole notion of setting that connection up might be driven off of something that you're seeing from information coming in from a connected traffic light system or something like that. So all that stuff comes together. So Roland is, is he's, he's watching over both of those for us, and he's had the IoT business for quite a while now. So, um, but we think that we will, there are gonna be industry-specific use cases that are gonna drive us there. And I think the Jasper platform we bought is a, is a great example. If you think about the, cellular connectivity and the service providers enabling that connectivity. And then you think about next generation applications being built in data centers on next generation stacks or used in public cloud infrastructure and our ability to aggregate that data and deliver it to either of those. And also bringing in this whole notion of edge computing and edge analytics for those devices that might be connected over wireless networks, we think we have a unique ability to bring the whole architecture together because we have such an understanding of the SP world and the enterprise space. Uh, and uh, that's where we think the value is going to be created for us. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I have a final question for you. I don't think there's another question. Um, you leapfrogged over a lot of CEO, there were a lot of CEO candidates there. It, had, it went on for a while. It was very. Um, <laughs> It did go on for a while. It did go on for a while. But you, not a surprise, but you leapfrogged over a lot of people people thought were going to be CEO. What's been the most difficult thing for you as a new CEO of running a company? And you're changing it really dramatically. You did layoffs. You did, you know, you did all kinds of different changes. I haven't done layoffs. Not layoffs, but I mean changes of, of your... Lots um, of changes. Lots of changes. Yeah. Significant ones. And yes. this is someone who had been there for a long, long time. What's, the, what's been the most challenging aspect of that? given the changes in the enterprise space at the same time. Yeah, I think that we all know that this industry is moving at a pace that none of us have ever seen. And I, I hate to say it, but I've been in this business for almost 30 years, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I've never seen it move so rapidly. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that we have no choice. We have to move quickly. I think that the market will shift the technology trends are shifting, the customer expectations are shifting, and I think that will require us to be much more fluid in how we think about technology, how we think about the structure of our teams, how we think about uh, open source technology, how we think about merchant silicon versus ASICs. I mean, you, have, you really have to consider all those things and you can't get religious about any of it. Now, as it relates to the, the CEO transition and some of the team uh, dynamics, most of those were just things that we agreed upon. Some of the folks I sat down, I said, look, I wanna, I wanna, I haven't answered this question in a long time though. I, I said, uh, you know, I need a team that will commit to three years. And some of those folks wanted to be CEOs. So they said, well, I, I can work with you for nine to 12 months, but then I want to do something else. And so we just agreed, just let's go ahead so that we don't have the disruption. So there's a lot of that going on, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm still friends with most all of them and talk to them pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. And do you see, do you worry about missing turns? I mean, because you're talking about the speed, you know, missing turns is really problematic for companies. 
I think we all should be worried about missing turns. Right. Uh, I think you have that, a lot more employees than other people. Well, you have to. You have to be. I think in this world, you have to move with speed. I think it requires tremendous transparency and honesty with yourself. You can. You have to be um, realistic about what's going on. Otherwise, you will get in trouble. I think denial is a, you know is is a first step to death right, in business. Uh, especially for big companies. And, and then I think you have to be transparent in your communication with your teams, with your customers, and with others. Because in order to move fast, people have to be on the same page. They have to understand really what you're doing. And so I think those are just some of the characteristics that we're going to have to evolve uh, and make core to what we do in order to uh, continue to be successful. And Leslie, if there's one part of the technology you're most fascinated by going forward that you're not in, what would it be? Uh, well, you know, it's ironic because I, for those of us who have been in this world, uh, in this business a long time, and I started my career as a program on an IBM mainframe back in the mid-80s. Anybody else? No, just you. Just me? Yeah. I was the only one? And uh, the irony is that so many of these technology trends you, you see sort of playing out in, in a new architecture, but it was sort of the same thing that we did back then. And so I'm, I'm fascinated by all the technology, which is why I love going deep with our product teams. But I think this notion of, I don't want to say AI because for us it's more machine learning, taking like what the network sees because it sees so much. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're able to open up and provide as value to our customers relative to not only what we see, but then how do you interpret it? So leveraging it for security, I see, I see two you know, nodes communicating in a way that is not normal. They haven't, these two, you know, addresses haven't communicated, this is very simplistic, but ever before, and now they're very chatty today, what's going on there? Or there's an application that we know it has certain application dependencies because it uses storage here, it communicates with a device here, and all of a sudden that's changed, and what's going on, and why is that happening today? And, um, and then the whole notion, uh, our teams are working on uh, a project called Monica, and, Monica? Uh, yeah. As in Chandler Bing's wife? Probably not, but right. it could be. I don't know. Okay, all right. Uh, but th think about, you know, in, in our collaboration portfolio, they're working on sort of a digital assistant who's attending the meetings with you. Think of it as like Siri uh, or Alexa for the enterprise. And in, right. in a Spark room, you'll have uh, this digital assistant that you can actually give requests to, and they will provide information back. Or you could be sitting in a telepresence session with... Monica, as a participant, you could say, you know, please call Joe and have him join the meeting, and it, right. would, act, it would happen. And I'm curious I think why that, assistants are always women, but that's just one of my issues. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. We'll rename it. All right. Now it's Joe. Okay, good. Thank you today. very much. Anyway, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Kara. It's great to see you. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Remember to leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay, and be sure to check out our other podcasts. Every Monday, I host Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. On Thursdays, you can hear Recode Media, where Peter Kafka interviews the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. And on Friday, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. You can find all these shows and more at recode.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.